Last week was the first weekend of the entire year, and we started off with a teaching from St. Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11, we saw that Peter had said that God, by his divine power, has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. And then he goes on to say that these are all the different things that you should do. So it was a little bit confusing at first when I read it. Has God done everything or am I supposed to do everything? See, God's given you everything, but there's still a part that you play. And this past week, I was thinking of a really good word picture for that. And I thought of this Lego box. Like if I give this to my son, I've given my son everything he needs to play with a Minecraft Lego set. But that doesn't mean it's ready to play yet. Like what he has to do now is open it up, read the instructions, get all the pieces together, and start adding them in order. And that's what Peter did in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, take your faith and build on top of your faith. Add to your faith, he said, moral excellence, which is doing the right thing. Add to that knowledge, which is why you're doing the right thing. Add self-control, which is not doing bad things, and then perseverance, like don't stop, even when it's hard to do the right thing or it's hard not to do the wrong thing. Now, once you get that going, he said your focus should be on loving God, loving your brothers and sisters of faith, the church, and then loving everybody else. Like that's what it looks like. And I feel like that passage of scripture should be kind of the theme for the rest of this year. Um, in 2022, I think our focus is on becoming the kind of people that God is going to use moving forward. I'm thankful that by God's grace, our church, as young it is, as it is, has already done some really amazing things. Like in the past 13 years, we've started 10 churches. Like that's, that's in, that's insane. Last year in our Hope Project, we gave over $300,000, uh, and then including our regular missions giving over a half a million dollars to faith-based Kingdom of God initiatives all over the world. But I still think we have a ton of work to do. The top five least religious states in America are all in New England. It's in this order, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Maine, and Vermont. That's numbers one through five, of the states that are farthest away from God. And I believe that God wants to do something about that. I think God's going to use us to do it. And by us, I mean you. I think you have a part to play in what God's wanting to do from here. Like everything that we've done is awesome, but we're still at the very beginning of what I believe God's called us to do. Like we're just scratching the surface of all the stuff that God's wanting to do. And in the next 20 years, I think we're gonna see some incredible stuff. But before we get busy, I think we need to get healthy, like spiritually healthy. That's what we want to do. Um, so today I'm going to talk to you about one of the most important and most neglected parts of the rhythm of a healthy Christian, of a healthy follower of Jesus, and that's fasting. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about fasting, and he told his disciples one time who were having a hard time doing, they, they wanted to help this kid get better, but they, they couldn't. They laid their hands on the kid. They prayed over the kid, and the kid wasn't getting any better. They brought him to Jesus, and Jesus instantly healed him. And then they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, there's some things that are impossible without prayer and fasting. Like, fasting is a 
huge part of the Christian life. But if I'm going to be completely transparent with you, like I was with the other pastors when we were preparing for the teaching this weekend, I think it's the most neglected spiritual discipline in my own life, and I'm convicted by that. And I think we as a church, I think you as a devoted follower of Jesus, need to consider what it looks like to make fasting a regular, repetitive, continuous part of your life as a, as a devoted follower of Jesus. In, in my office, if you came to my office right now, um, you would, uh, you'd see a big, a big ship. It's, it's ugly. Uh, it's, it's probably, I don't know, three feet wide, probably three feet tall. My dad was a pastor. Uh, and when I was a little kid, that ship was in his church office. And his dad was a pastor. And when my dad was a little kid, it was in my grandfather's office. When I became a pastor, my dad gave it to me. Um, and I asked him, I don't, like, why are you giving me this? This is ugly three-masted with sails. It's, just, it's an old-fashioned, like, like think like uh, Mayflower ship. And that's what the ship looks like. I was like, why are you giving me this? I don't know if I, I didn't know if I wanted this ugly, ugly piece of metal, right? And he said, uh, the ship, according to his dad, my granddad, he said, the ship is a constant reminder um, that the ship wasn't made for the harbor. Uh, you weren't made for safety. You were made to take risks, to go out into the world and do great things in the name of Jesus. That's, that's what it's a reminder of. So every time I see that ship, it's a reminder that God didn't make me to sit still. God didn't make me to crave, although we all crave the harbor, right? Like we weren't made for the harbor. We were made for the open seas. But that doesn't mean that the harbor is unnecessary. Because in any storm, where, does, where do the ships go? They try to find a safe harbor. It's at the harbor that they take on goods, that they let off goods, that they exchange passengers. Like there's a useful purpose for the harbor. And while the harbor isn't what the ship was made for, the harbor is a regular part of the ship's life. And there's a practice in those old fashioned ships, we don't do this anymore, called careening. And the idea of careening, and I'm gonna use this little toy ship to demonstrate for you, but the idea of careening is that a ship would pull into a, a shallow harbor with a long extended beach. And it would do this during high tide. And it would, it would go until it was just starting to touch the beach and then it would stop. And as the tide went out, the ship would start to tip over, which would probably look to somebody standing on the beach if they weren't familiar with ships, like that's a really bad thing. But the ship would come in and it would lay over on its side during low tide and they would scrape all the barnacles off, off the hull and then they would look for gaps in the timber and then they would put pitch and tar in the timber. So they were looking for things that needed to be taken off and things that needed to be added to. Like it was the barnacles that needed to be scraped and the timbers that needed to be pitched. And without a regular practice of careening, the ship would take on too much drag or would eventually develop leaks in its hull and would become unseaworthy. Like it was that regular practice of careening that made the ship actually seaworthy. Then when the high tide would come in again, it would stand back up. And then when the next low tide, uh, when, when the tide went out, they would tip it to the other side and then they would scrape and then they would pitch. They would scrape the hull of the barnacles. They would scrape the barnacles and pitch the timber. And it's in prayer and fasting that we discover the barnacles that need to be scraped out of our heart and the pitch that needs to be added to the timbers of our lives. 
Fasting is the spiritual discipline of careening. Now, fasting precedes some of the most um, prominent, most memorable stories in the Bible to some of the most famous heroes in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Fasting uh, preceded Esther going into the king and rescuing all of the Jews. In fact, Esther called all of the Jews to a three-day fast before she went into the king. Nineveh fasted uh, and prayed, repented, and called on God to be rescued from the judgment that Jonah had predicted would come because of their sin. Ezra had all the Jews fast for safety when they went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Moses fasted, Samuel fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, Nehemiah fasted, Daniel fasted, Anna fasted and prayed that she wouldn't die until she saw the Lord's Messiah. And her name is mentioned in the New Testament. I believe she's mentioned in the book of Matthew. Maybe not Matthew, maybe it's Luke. I can't remember. Matthew or Luke is where she's mentioned when, when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to be, to be dedicated. Anna is there. She got that because she prayed and fast. You might not know this, but there are more teachings on fasting in the New Testament than even on repentance, baptism, or even communion. We take communion far more often than we fast, though, right? Like we pray and ask God to forgive us far more than we fast. But if we're going to compare or if we're going to give weight to a spiritual discipline based on the number of times that it's mentioned, fasting is taught more than all of those things, but it seems to be the most neglected part of our spiritual rhythms. And that brings me to the first thing I want you to know from today's teaching, and that's this. Jesus expected every Christian to fast. Like he expected it. In Matthew chapter 6, we get the first and most famous of all of Jesus' sermons, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And even if you're not religious, you've probably heard of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Now, by the way, the entire teaching today is going to be from Matthew chapter 6. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth that that is the only reward that they will get. Did you catch that though? He said, when you fast. Not if you decide to fast, here's the right way to do it. Jesus said, when you fast. So the question isn't if you fast or not, but when you do it. So Jesus assumed that you would be observing as a regular expression of your faith, the practice of fasting. Like it's up there with going to church. Giving to God the offerings out of your first fruits, like giving to God before you give to anything else. It's up there with serving the body of Christ and praying for the sick. Like right up there with all of those things that all good Christians should do is fasting. It's not an option. But I want to make sure that we know what fasting is. Fasting isn't starving yourself. Fasting is the physical restraint from the physical desire to eat. And we do this to bring our desires under the control of our will. Uh, every day, I'm I'm hungry. I'm. It's probably not a surprise to you by just looking at me that uh, <laughs> homeboy likes good food, right? Like even this morning, I went to Zachary's at in in Stoughton and and had me. Um, I had grits, man, grits with butter and salt. Holy cow! If you've never had grits, we're gonna be eat, we're gonna be eating a ton of grits in heaven. So you best get used to it now. That's all I gotta say. I was raised by a Georgia girl, right? My mom's a, a Southern mama, and and I've 
I think I've had, I had grits before I ever had cereal. I, I really do think that that's the truth. It's like, and then I ordered grits for somebody else who was with me. They didn't like them because they don't love the Lord, apparently. Uh, and I, I also eat their grits. Like we, we get the desire to eat all the time. And when we just give in to our desires, it, it develops unhealthy habits that also spill over into our spiritual relationship. So when I make the conscious choice to, desi- to deny myself the things I crave, I also have the willpower to deny myself the sin I crave. I'm building up my willpower muscles. I'm teaching myself to obey my mind, not my body. Uh, Paul used the phrase that he, he was bringing his body into submission to his will. That's fasting. That's what it is. It's me learning to say no to the, uh, to the food that I'm craving at lunch or to the soda I crave in the afternoons or to the coffee I crave in the morning or some people like Daniel who took a partial fast. I know that my son one time uh, turned off his video game for an entire month. And for a lot of us, that's not a big deal at all. But the desire to go up into the attic and just turn on the video game when he got home from school every day was a pattern. It was a routine and it was a habit that he did automatically that he felt if he's going to develop his spiritual willpower muscles to say no to the sin that he craved, he would say no to the video games that he craved. Like that's that was the spiritual connection. Um and fasting is a reminder that man does not live on bread alone, but lives in response to the will of God and in obedience to him. That famous theologian, Taylor Knopp, pastor of our Braintree location, said, the body should not be the master of our hearts. And fasting is a practical way for us to ensure that our stomachs will never take precedence over our soul. Isn't that good? Now, I'm sure he stole that quote from somebody. I just don't know who he stole it from. So I have to give him credit. If you want to know where he got that, you can go talk to him about it. But that's what fasting does for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a famous Christian, a German theologian, who was actually put to death by the Nazis, who wrote a phenomenal book on on spiritual development. He called it The Cost of Discipleship. It's a fantastic book, and I, I do recommend it. And he said this, Jesus takes it for granted that his disciples observe the pious uh, custom of fasting. Strict exercise of self-control is an essential feature of the Christian life. Such customs, fasting, has one purpose, to make the disciple, the follower of Jesus, more ready to accomplish those things which God would have us to do, and especially if it conflicts with the sin that we most naturally want to do. That brings me to the second thing I want you to remember. Number one is that Jesus assumes that you, if you're a devoted follower of him, you're going to fast. Like, you're just going to do this. Like, this is like, uh, it, it's it's like to the bodybuilder. If somebody wants to play football, you're going to have to lift, weight, lift weights. If you want to be a great basketball player, you've got to practice your free throws. Like, free throws and great defense. And get your legs, like, right, get your butt down. Like, this is what it looks like to become a good, good basketball player, a good football player, to become a devoted follower of Jesus and a good Christian, a productive Christian. You've got to practice that third component of the Lego set, right? That self-control. That's the art of fasting. That's exactly what it is. And Jesus said, you... You can't be a productive Christian if you can't learn to bring your flesh, your cravings into submission to your will. And we do that through fasting. The second thing is this. Jesus taught that you should fast with the right heart. It's not just enough that you decide you're going to skip breakfast for a week. 
uh, and wait until lunch or that you're going to go 24 hours without eating any solid food. The emphasis is still in your heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus said this, and when you fast, don't make it obvious. I just read this voice and verse as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face so that nobody knows. Like it has to do with your heart, not what other people do. There's things that, what other people see. There are things that I do that are good, like giving to the poor or going on a mission trip to Guatemala, and then you go on to the villages, and then you serve the kids the rice and beans and chicken, and you, you're, like, the recognition that this is maybe the only well-balanced meal that they're going to get of the day, it makes us feel really good to do this for these kids, and they see us, and they say thank you, and their appreciation, and the smile on their faces, all of these things make us feel really good about ourselves, and there's Nothing wrong with doing those things, except fasting is not one of the things that we do to get credit from any other people. Uh, when my son and his wife were here from Denver over the Christmas break, we went to the MFA, the Museum of Fine Arts. Coming out of the Museum of Fine Arts and walking to our car, which, believe it or not, we only had to park a block away. That's proof there's a God right there, right? <laughs> miracle, a Christmas miracle. Uh, walking out of the MFA, there was a homeless man there. And uh, walking walking by him, um, like I, right, we all say that, what's he going to do with the money? And I, and I, I say that to myself all the time. But I, I felt like, um, like it was, it was better. What he did with the money wasn't up to me, but what I did with my dollar was, right? So um, I walked past him and I said, I don't carry any cash, which is an honest statement. I don't carry cash. And then after we passed him, Billy Jane looked at me and she goes, well, well, I have cash. And I was like, crap, now I have to give this guy something. And I said, well, you got a couple of bucks. And she reached in and she had, all she had was fives. So uh, not that that's a bad thing. I just took the five and I ran it back to the guy. And, you know, I could see people, you know, people smiled and somebody else gave them money. And like, there's, there's like, it's, it's good to give from what you have to people who don't have, that's that's a good thing. But I got a reward for that with that guy's thank you, God bless you type of a thing. Fasting is one of those things that nobody knows about. Like I don't, I don't tell you when I fast this week. I don't tell you if I'm fasting right now because me fasting isn't about me and you. It's not about my relationship with God as it relates to my relationship with you. Fasting is only between me and God. This is just about my heart and my obedience, my willingness to obey God in every area of my life. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 through 6, Jesus said this, and it's speaking to the whole attitude behind Matthew chapter 6, even with other things besides fasting. And here's what Jesus said in verse 1. He said, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. That's the thing, to be admired by others. Like giving the $5 to the homeless man outside of the MFA was going to be seen by others. So Jesus isn't saying don't give the man any financial help if other people are going to see you. He says don't do these things in public to be seen by other people. So the question is, would I still have given him $5 even if there was nobody else around to nod at me like I was a good citizen, or even if he wasn't going to say thank you. Like, would I would I have given him $5 if he was asleep, laying there with a please help me cup on the ground? Like, that's, 
Like, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't do good deeds to be seen by other people, to be admired by them. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone, this is verse 2, in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Now, I I can't imagine doing that anyway. But apparently in Jesus' time, people blew trumpets and made loud noises to get everybody to look in their direction so that they could do good for other people. That's that's just stinking nuts. He says, I tell you the truth that they have the they have received already the reward that they will ever get, which is the admiration of other people. So when it comes to fasting, there's no option for me to receive re- reward or admiration from other people. The art of fasting or the spiritual discipline of fasting is something that will only be seen by God and can therefore only be rewarded by him. Verse three, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them and hear how beautiful they pray. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then he says this again. I think it's repeated five times in Matthew chapter 6, this next phrase, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. With doing good, uh, providing a service free of charge, helping the poor, giving your offerings when you pray and when you fast, all of this should be to the best of your ability on the DL. The motivation for obedience is not to feel good about myself, but to please our Father who art in heaven. Fasting is an internal discipline that results in internal transformation. Here's the thing I want you to remember, is that if the only person who knows that you are fasting is God, then God becomes the only motivation for fasting, and that's important. See, if 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 you show up at a church, and sometimes I, I do go to church because it's my job. I'm a pastor, I have to go to church. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Like, I don't have the option to not go to church. It's my job. Right? But when it wasn't my job, there were some times when I would go to church. I didn't feel like going, but I went because I knew people would ask where I was if I wasn't there. Right? Like That motivation is gone when it comes to fasting. The only thing that will motivate you to actually begin fasting is God. And because of that, God really is the only reason. I think I said that the wrong way. If the only person who knows you are fasting is God, then the only motivation for doing this is, is God. Uh, The C.S. Lewis Institute uh, wrote about fasting in the early church, and here's what they said. They said, in the early church, fasting was a highly valued spiritual discipline. Uh, Those who could do so fasted every single Wednesday and Friday uh, until 3 p.m. I looked up the reason why they they stopped at 3 p.m., and it was at 3 p.m. when Jesus died. In fact, the Didache Uh, The Didache is the Greek word for the very first journal that was written about the early church, and it comes from between 150 AD and 200 AD, talked about the life of the early church. And it's in the Didache that the C.S. Lewis Institute is referring to the discipline or the practice of the very first church to fast every single Wednesday and Friday. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to fast every Wednesday and Friday until 3 p.m., It's just something that the early church did everywhere around the Roman Empire. They fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays until 3 p.m. 
Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. So that's this is at the end now. So I started off in the middle about prayer and fasting, verses 16, 17, and 18. I went back to verses 1 through 6 where he says, do all of this on the DL. And then he gets to the very end of the chapter and he sums up our motivation for giving to the poor, our motivation for for praying, our motivation for doing good and providing services free of charge for people, and even giving our offerings to God. He says the motivation for all of these things in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is this, seeking first the kingdom of God. When you seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, God will give you everything else that you need. Like that's the entire, that's the entire point of Matthew chapter 6. All of the verses, by the way, between praying and fasting and Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, um, about seeking first God's kingdom, the rest of all of those verses, it's over half the chapter, is about what we do with our, with our money. So doing good for people unseen, praying, fasting, and giving are the most tangible expressions of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And which one of those things are we most negligent in? Like, we, we do good for people. This is one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of in my entire life. We pray all the time, but the one spiritual discipline that we are slacking in the most, and maybe I'm projecting onto you, the spiritual discipline I lack the most personally is the spiritual discipline, the art, the physical exercise of fasting. And that brings me to the last thing I want you to know from today's teaching, and that's this, that God responds to prayer and fasting differently than if you don't. Matthew chapter 6, verse 18, here's what it says. When you fast, right, don't let anybody else see it, comb your hair, he said, and wash your face, verse 18, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. This is one of those five times that he says this in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 when he says, and your father who sees everything will reward you. What reward? Well, verse 33 says the reward is that God will provide everything that you need. Like that promise of God providing what you need is in response to your obedience to pray and fast. Your reward is connected to what you do, not to be seen by others, but to be seen by our Father who art in heaven. This is why God rescued the Jews after they fasted. That's why he spoke to Moses after he fasted. That's why Jesus started his public ministry after he fasted. Why Paul and Barnabas were called to be church planters throughout all of the Roman Empire after they prayed and fasted. If you want God to intervene in your life, it will be after you have spent time in prayer and fasting. If you want God to intervene in your marriage, it will be after you have spent time praying and fasting. If you want God to intervene in your relationship with your son, your relationship with your mom, it'll be after you've prayed and fasted. If you want God to change the brokenness and bitterness, the hate, the anger, right? The yuck parts, the dark parts of our heart, it'll be after you've prayed and fasted. If you need a miracle in your life, it will be after you have prayed and fasted. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to fast as regularly as you go to church. Like it's just, I don't want to say as regularly. So like 
It's not like you keep track of the number of times you go to church, so that's the number of times you got to fast. What I'm saying is that the discipline of fasting, choosing a partial fast, I'm going to go without coffee for a week, or like my son, going without Xbox for a month, or not eating on Wednesdays and Fridays until 3 p.m., or taking a 24-hour day and not eating any solid foods, or drinking only water for, like, what you fast from is between you and God. Like, this isn't about you and me. This isn't about you and the church. This is really about you and God and you discipline, disciplining yourself physically so that you can be spiritually strong enough to resist your urges to sin. And the only reason you would do this is because you want to obey God more than you want to indulge your flesh, right? So you, you've got to, like, it is just as important that you fast as it is that you give, that you read your Bible, that you go to church, that you help poor people, that you offer to help an, a, a, a neighbor in need or a coworker with an assignment. It is just as necessary. In a world filled with indulgence, and I got this quote, I don't know who from, we'll say it's Taylor Knopp again. Uh, in a world filled with indulgence, we need to consciously lay aside our freedoms in Christ for the purpose of seeking the face of God, closeness to the suffering of Jesus and fullness of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm asking you to do at the end of the teaching today is I'm asking you to pr pray and fast from something for the next 21 days. Obviously, I'm not saying fast from food for 21 days. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but pick something. Go, go without Xbox for 21 days. Like, do something that's going to take a conscious effort of your will. Because every time you choose, I'm not going to drink coffee for the next 21 days, what you're doing is you're telling yourself that my greater priority is my obedience and closeness to God than my dependence on caffeine. So obviously that's not the one I'm going to choose. But pick something that you're going to fast from for the next 21 days, three weeks, right? Like 21 days of prayer and fasting. We start every single year this way, but I'm wanting to emphasize the fasting part because when you make a conscious choice, no more, no sugar for the next 21 days. No, I don't know. I, I, I've got a pastor friend here, here in, in Massachusetts who went on a, on a 30 day fast from social media. That's, I don't know what you should do. That's what he did. I'm not going to tell you what I do again because my fast is between me and God. But I'm asking you to pick one thing that's going to be a, every single day you're going to have to choose. Do I want intimacy with God more than I want my Xbox? More than I want soda? More than I want breakfasts? Like what? Like that's, I'm just asking you to pick, pick one thing. Uh, da Daniel did a partial fast, so, so do a partial fast. If you're going to go without food for a 24-hour period and you have any type of a, like a blood sugar thing happening, hypoglycemia or any one of the numbers of diabetes, consult a doc. Like, don't put yourself in harm's way. That's not the point of fasting. I don't think you fast until you do physical damage. That's not the point of fasting. The point of fasting is I'm disciplining my body and I'm choosing a constant reminder that I want God more than I want this other thing. I'm asking you to make fasting a regular part of your life from now on. How? I don't know. Because I don't think you ought to just fast for the next 21 days. I don't think you ought to read your Bible for just the next 21 days. I don't think you ought to just pray for the next 21 days. If you're a devoted follower of Jesus, 
Fasting needs to be a regular part of your life from now on. Like, I think the church in New England needs to be called to prayer and fasting. Because if we want to see God bring revival to New England, if we want God to get all five New England states off the top five list, it will be in response to the people of God bringing themselves to the obedience of God because they love God more than they love anything else in their life. And fasting is what disciplines my heart. Sorry. What disciplines my heart? God. Sorry. (laughs) More than any other thing in my life. More than anything else. And I'm telling you, what you need for God to light a little fire in your heart again is a spiritual discipline of praying and fasting. Start it with a 21-day small fast from one thing and then make regular fasting a regular part of your life. And see if God doesn't set your heart on fire too. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to bow your head with me and we'll pray. God, I love you with all of my heart. And I'm thankful that you called me to turn from my sin and become a devoted follower of Jesus. When I did, I'm thankful that you put your Holy Spirit in my heart who pulls me towards these things. Like if, you, if, if, if a person doesn't have you, God, in their heart, there, there's no motivation for this. I mean, I'm, I can't check up on anybody. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be bugging anybody about this. No one's going to be checking up on each other. Like, God, if we do this, it really is only because we genuinely on the inside of our heart love you. And that is something the Holy Spirit does in us. God, you put in us the will, uh, the desire to do the things that you've asked us to do. God, there are people who are part of this service right now who've not turn from sin to begin following Jesus. They don't have your Holy Spirit in them. I'm asking you, God, to keep drawing them to you. If that's where you're at and you want to begin following Jesus, then you should pray that and tell him. If you're not ready for that, don't pray prayers you don't mean. But if, you're, if you are a devoted follower of Jesus, then ask God to put something in your heart that you can fast from. God, show me one little thing that I can tweak in my life out of a conscious desire to put you first, to want you more than I wanted that. And then let your Holy Spirit remind me on a regular basis from now on to make fasting a regular part of my spiritual rhythms. God, hear the prayers that we are making right now in response to what your Holy Spirit has been pushing us to do. And move in our lives and do anything you want with our hearts so that we can become the people that you intend us to be and do the things you intended us to do. This is our prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen.